morning, I'd ask you to turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 14. Christ is our Passover lamb. Now, that's a, that's a very rich, rich sentence. It, but if you don't really understand the background of Passover, it doesn't really make much sense. Jesus was not a lamb. He was a man. He was God and man. Um, so why are we calling him a lamb? What does Passover have to do with anything? So before we talk about this passage in Mark, I, I feel like maybe just for a couple of minutes we need to travel back in time. We don't know what year it was. Um, scholars debate on that, and they can have their debates, but we really don't quite know for sure. It was sometime a good 12, 1400 years before Christ was born, Moses has been called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Now you got to understand, the Israelites first went to Egypt to avoid famine. Uh, Joseph, the, the story of Joseph, uh, tells us of the Israelites coming into Egypt because Joseph, this Israelite, sold into slavery, taken to Egypt, rose to the top of his master's house before being thrown in prison, rose to the top of the ranks in the prison among prisoners, because why not, right? That's just what God likes to do. Uh, gets this name for interpreting dreams, except for a couple of years this guy forgets that Joseph can interpret dreams, but at the right moment, when God is ready... The king has a dream, Pharaoh has a dream, and this guy that's serving Pharaoh says, you know, come to think of it, there was this guy back when you threw me in prison, and he could tell dreams. So Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, he interprets the dreams. Pharaoh is not only impressed by Joseph's interpretation, but his ability to, on the spot, hear the dream, know what the dream means, and know how to respond to the dream. And so Joseph rises in the Egyptian court into power, and he sent, he, he, one day his brothers come, and uh, long story short, he invites them to bring their father and their whole family, move to Egypt where there's plenty of food for them to eat, to a place called Goshen, which is a wonderful place to raise the livestock that they raised and to grow a community. And fast forward a couple hundred years and you've got millions of Israelites living in the land of Goshen with a Pharaoh who does not know who Joseph was who decides these people are a threat and we need to oppress them. And so the Hebrews become slaves. It says in the beginning of Genesis, that they cried out to God and God heard them. So he takes this guy named Moses, trained in Pharaoh's court, wanted for murder, person who didn't even have his own sheep but kept his father-in-law's sheep for, oh, I don't know, four decades out in the wilderness. And God says, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, sounds great, except I got these problems. Who, who should I tell them sent me? What am I going to say? I'm not, I'm, I'm not a speaker. I bet my merds wixed up and my tangle tongue when I have to peek in public. 
I'm, I did that. I did a sketch of that as a college student. I was Moses in this sketch, and I had to say that line. And now I cannot say the words right to save my life. I, I can only say them the wrong way. But God says, forget all that. I'm God. You do what I say. Yes, sir. Because <laughs> that's the only thing you can say when God tells you, right? And God begins to perform miracle after miracle. Of course, they're not, they don't look like miracles if you're the Egyptians. Suddenly, there are frogs everywhere. Suddenly, there's plagues of locusts. Violent hailstorms. Deep darkness. And finally, God said, I've got one more thing to do. But you're going to have to prepare. That's what I want you to do. I want you to take a lamb. Year old, without spot or blemish. Sacrifice it to me. Get the blood. Put it on your doorpost. On either side. And on the top. I want you to take that lamb, the meat of it, I want you to roast it and eat it. But I want you to relax. You have your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You be ready to go. Because I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt this very night. This night, my angel is going to pass through all of Egypt. And when he comes to the house of an Egyptian, when he comes to a house of someone who does not have the blood on the doorway, I will kill that firstborn child, man or beast. But when I see the blood, I will pass over your house. This would become known as a Passover. It would be a memorial that Jews would celebrate even today. To remember the time when God passed over them in His wrath. The time when God showed His mighty hand and did not hold the sins of the nation of Israel against it, but delivered them from slavery. This would be the basis of the Ten Commandments. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and then he begins the commandments. You will have no other gods before me. Who God is and what he has done becomes the basis of how the Israelites were to live their lives. This moment would mark Hebrew history 120 times in the Old Testament. The deliverance from Egypt is referred to. And this Passover meal celebrates for the Jews their deliverance from slavery. It would be the point where God took a people and made them into a nation. A point where God took slaves and freed them. Now with that background, I think we can better understand the sentence. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Let me show you how Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. It is the 14th of Nisan. 
Nisan is the first month of the Hebrew year. This, this, this event is so important that the Hebrew calendar gets set for the first month being the month of their deliverance. In fact, some, some Hebrews even track what year it is, not only based on their calculation of creation, but also based on the number of years since they were delivered. This is the monumental moment in Hebrew history. And on this night, Christ with His disciples is going to undergo really what you would not expect Him to undergo. He is going to become the Passover lamb this night and the following morning. Today we're going to focus on the night. Come Friday night, we'll watch as Christ moves from the garden to the cross. But for this morning, there's one more meal. Stand with me as we read God's Word. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 14, excuse me. We're in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 31. A little bit of a lengthy passage this morning, but some very important truths that God wants to tell us. Mark 14, beginning in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And it was when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said it emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. 
both spoken in that upper room and written for those of us in this room. Father, I pray that they would change us. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. What I, what I, one thing that I want to um, do, that before I kind of get into the major points of the sermon, I want to point something out. This isn't, um, this isn't one of the crucial points, but I think it's an important point to know. Look back in verse 13. So um, it's, it's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You've got the Passover day, and then you've got this feast that immediately follows it. Uh, because if you're, going to, if you're going to be rescued, delivered from slavery, and you're recounting that, then that's a reason to celebrate. So you don't just do it at one time in one meal. You celebrate for the whole week thereafter. And so that's what they do. They have this Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so they're, they're, they get the lamb sacrificed. And then a couple of disciples, Luke tells us it's Peter and John, ask Jesus, what, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to prepare? Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, we're Southerners, so we, we have this distinction. And I think we're right here. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think the proper English is really right. I think we're right. Because we distinguish between you and you. There's a you individual, and there's a you, bunch of folks, right? We have you and y'all. You, you, you listen to a Southerner talk, and you know whether it's you or y'all, right? Unfortunately, you can't always tell whether it's you or y'all when you're reading it in the Bible because the Bible doesn't use y'all. Anybody have a y'all version of the Bible? I need to write one. Make it the same as, as normal, except just change all the plural yous to y'alls and, and make it a little easier. Maybe, maybe we could do that, a southernized version. Jesus said to all y'all folks, <laughs> I done told you. <laughs> Man, that, that, no, but in all seriousness, this you here is a singular you. They're asking, where are you going to eat the Passover? Now, show of hands, how many folks do you know practice Passover? Anybody know somebody who practices Passover? No Jews that y'all know. Okay, so uh, is Passover a single person meal or is it a group meal? It's a group meal. How many in a group normally? Do you know? According to Jewish tradition, it had to be at least ten. There's no one single you eating the Passover. If you can't eat it, if you don't have enough people, like our family has six folks. If we were going to celebrate Passover, we would go to someone else's house, or they would come to our house, and we'd join them in a Passover. We wouldn't be able to do it by ourselves. We don't have enough people. you got to have at least ten to practice the Passover, right? The reason for that is to make sure all the lamb gets eaten. You don't want leftovers. You can't have leftovers. But anyway, uh, that's kind of a side mark. He's, they say to him, where do you want us to get ready for you, singular, to eat the Passover? Look down, though, in, in verse 15. And he, he, Jesus says, you're going to go into the city. You're going to see this guy carrying a water jar. It's going to meet you. Follow him. And when you... When he gets to the house he's going to, you're going to ask the master of the house, verse 15, uh, where, where, where 
the teacher wants to know where he can eat the Passover with my disciples, in verse 14. And then he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. Jesus recognizes this is a communal thing. It's not an individual thing. I'm not eating the Passover. We're eating the Passover. And I think it's interesting that God, the Lord of this Passover meal, the one who owns the meal, is not only willing, but overwilling to share it. Nobody eats this alone. See, he will say, I have to bear this cup alone. One day you'll bear the cup with me, but for today I have to bear it on my own. There will be a day when you will share in my suffering, but today you will share in my blessing. And it's not a blessing that's nice stuff. It's the blessing of communion with God Himself. You know why I call this communion? Somebody was asking me why I call this communion. No, I'm not Catholic. Um, I call this communion because it represents the communion we have with God. I also call it communion because Lord's Supper belongs in that Southern Bible I was talking about just a minute ago. Um, it's a, it's so, it's so easy to think of the Lord's Supper and think of it casually. I don't want us to think of it casually. This meal represents us communing with the God of the universe who made us, who loves us, and who has bent over backwards to get us back out of the house of slavery to sin. That's one reason I say Jesus is our Passover lamb. Because He's the one who did that. He's the sacrifice. He's the one who ensured that we could be with God. And He's going to share this meal with His disciples. And boy, is this meal going to be so much richer when He's done with it than it was before He starts. But I want to show you a couple of things that happened to our Passover lamb that night. Some of them are similar to that Passover lamb, to that sacrifice that the Jews would offer. But what I want you to see here is how Christ fits right into that role of the sacrifice. The sacrifice of deliverance. Our Passover lamb. First thing that I saw, Jesus tells them that he will be betrayed. Look down in verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. This word betray literally means hand over. It's the idea of delivering something to someone else. Now we all know the story. I'm sure we do. We know that it's a man named Judas who would do this. But put yourself at the table. Put yourself there eating with Christ and his disciples. Picture yourself. The, the, the table would be really low to the ground. And you'd kind of, kind of, everyone would kind of lay, prop themselves up, themselves up on an arm while they're eating. And so you've got all these guys laying around this table. This isn't, this isn't the, the Michelangelo version where everybody's sitting at this big long table and Jesus is at the center and there's this one guy leaning on him and, and there's, other folks out and about. It's not that. 
Okay? They're kind of, they're kind of literally reclining in a sense. But they're laying down, propping themselves up, and they're eating this meal together. Picture, um, if you've ever had teenage boys, you know this. Even young men, uh, especially athletes, you know, uh, when you get a bunch of guys in a room, it starts to smell. I went, I'll never forget, I was, I don't know, se- seventh grade maybe. I went, we had a hockey team in Mobile called the Mobile Mystics. I went on a tour of the arena where they played and, and learning about the team and that kind of stuff and went into the locker room. Oh my gosh. Nobody had been in that locker room for days and I almost couldn't breathe. I, it was bad. It's like, geez, how does this smell? How does this smell when there's like three or four games in a row at home? You know, this got to be bad. Don't y'all clean around here? <laughs> so you can picture the smell in the room. You can picture there's probably a couple of folks, maybe servants of the house, who are who are walking around, making sure they got plenty of food, checking the cups, making sure there's plenty to drink, chatting about different things. There's this, y'all been in a restaurant, you've heard all the background noise. There's a lot of background noise. Folks are having conversations with each other. Now picture Jesus suddenly saying out of nowhere, one of you is going to betray me. Can you you see what happens? All this discussion just suddenly goes quiet. Everybody's looking at Christ. There's one guy that's been pigging out and he can't even eat anymore. He's... Maybe even a dropped fork or two. They didn't have forks, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how they ate. I, don't know what. I need to figure that out. How? How? But there's. It's shocking. Everything comes to a stop. Nobody's moving now. All eyes are focused on Christ. He's got the attention of the whole room, and they can't believe what they've just heard. So what do they do? Look at verse 19. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him after one another, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it, is it I? It's not me, Lord. Is it? Is it I? 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 And I have to ask myself, is it I? Am I betraying Christ? I was talking to someone a while ago and they were telling me about an opportunity that they have to help someone get their life back together. And they said that this person has been watching them for a long time. They they said and they were amazed 
because this this church member was the real deal. And one of the things that I, I think I have to I have to remind myself of is that but for God's grace I'm the one who's selling Christ. I'm the one who's handing him over. I'm the one who's betraying him. That would be me. But for God's grace, that's me. And I wonder how many times, we may not do it literally, we may not have actually sold Jesus, but how many times do our lives deliver Him over, betray Him? How many times do we just flippantly throw Him by the wayside and live our own way? Is it I? Then he said to them, here he doesn't give specifics. The story in John tells us a little more specifically what happens, but Mark isn't so concerned about the details. What he is concerned about is that we get this fact. It is one of the twelve, he says, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Think about that for a second. The one, one who is communing with me is betraying me. That's why it hits so hard with me because, I mean, I'm a pastor. I mean, if anybody ought to be communing with God, it's a minister of the gospel, right? If anybody ought to be communing with God, it, it ought to be really good folks. Folks that <coughs> give their lives to do God's will. They ought to be the ones that are communing with Him. If there's anyone that ought to be communing with God, it ought to be the folks with the lot of letters behind their names and that wear the special garments of clergy or that, that perform the special functions, right? But yet, even those who are eating with God, there, there are still those who will eat the meal with Christ and yet betray Him. And I have to make sure every day, because I'm just not that good, I have to make sure every single day that I'm not denying Him, that I'm not betraying Him. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Can I tell you something? I think I would rather have never heard about Christ than be one that heard and that knows but that betrays anyway. The, the Passover lamb, the actual animal, may, must have felt kind of betrayed. I mean, here is this farmer who's taking care of me, who has provided for me, and then suddenly he takes me to this temple, and now I'm being slaughtered. The difference here is that Christ is the one 
getting on the altar himself. Listen, listen to what he says in John 10. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Do you get that? Do you get the active? I lay down my life. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. What he's saying is, I have the choice. I'm not being handed over against my will. I'm choosing to be handed over. I don't think any lamb would say, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. And yet Christ does. Christ will be betrayed. He'll also be broken. We're going to come back to this passage in a minute when we take communion. Verses 22 through 25. As they were eating, he took bread. The bread of life. Taking this bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Paul recounts in Corinthians, broken for you. The bread of life broken in death. And he took a cup, verse 23, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. What's interesting is who, who's doing the pouring? He is. This, this one who is the choicest lily of the valley, the vine of which we are the branches, himself his own fruit, his own blood poured out. Verse 25, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. There is coming a day when he drinks that again. But for now, he has a different cup to drink. Remember when he's in the garden and he says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but your will. He's drinking the cup of wrath that we deserve. And one day he will drink a different cup. Jesus will be broken. Lastly, he'll also be bailed on. I had to keep the bees going. I would have put denied, but I'm just too much of a preacher. Um, and when he had sung a hymn, verse 26, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, I love Peter. Peter's the loud mouth. He's, he's the one that says what everybody else is thinking. And yes, it gets him into trouble, but he's also the only one who was walking on water with Jesus, okay? All the other disciples were stuck in the boat, so there. I feel a kindred spirit with Peter. We both talk too much. Peter said, I'm not going to deny you, even though all fall away. 
Even though all fall away. Everybody else deserts you. I'm not going to desert you. I will not deny you. Later, he says, even if I have to die, I won't deny. Doesn't that sound like a lawyer talking? <laughs> even if I have to die, I will not deny. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night. Now, by the way, do you remember? He's the one who can't stay awake for an hour in the garden after this. Yeah. He's the one saying, I'll die for you. I'll die not only for you. Go back, go, go back to verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 31. <laughs> sorry. Go the other way. Verse 31. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Even if I have to die right alongside of you, I'm not going to deny you. We all know what happens. He bails. And I don't blame him. He doesn't have the power of God's Spirit to overcome his weakness. I, I would bail too. I'll just be completely honest. But for God's work in me, I, I could not follow His will. And we talked about that. He's just going to be bailed on. Like this lamb who would be betrayed, who would be broken. He'd be given up and, and bailed on in a sense. Jesus would be bailed on. And it's not something that I, I gotta be honest with you. I don't wanna I don't want to draw too much analogy here because there's not Jesus is doing more than what the Passover lamb is doing. But this isn't something that's this isn't something that's really surprising God. In fact, God knew this would happen. Back when Isaiah was prophesying. Isaiah was a prophet in the northern kingdom before it fell to Assyria, okay? So this is some um, 750 years before Christ. Listen to how Isaiah puts it. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep 
that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. At the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We have a suffering servant, Lord Christ, above all. And He is lifted up in death and yet raised even higher in life. We have a Passover lamb. One who has sacrificed for our sins. Would you trust Him this morning? That that sin burden you're carrying, it's you know it's too heavy for you. Would you trust Him? Would you let Him do His work? to cleanse you of your transgressions, to wash you of your iniquities, to cleanse you and make you white as snow. Would you do that this morning?